morning. My name is Dave, and I'm on staff here at Highland Park. I want to ask you a question. How many of you remember the TV show To Tell the Truth? You remember that? I mean, it started in 1959. Uh, some of you have probably seen it in syndication. But I watched it as a little kid with my family. And it sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Our whole family watched the same show <laughs> on one black and white TV. And you had to walk uphill both ways to turn it on and off. I mean, that, you know, that's, that's how long ago that was. But the whole premise of the TV show was that there were four celebrity panelists, and they interviewed three contestants, all claiming to be the same person. And, and if you remember the show, they would have the three contestants standing up there, and somebody would dramatically ask, what is your name, please? And then they would all say, my name's Herman Kleinschmidt. I don't know what the name was, but they would all say the same name because they were saying that they all had this one unique or, or uh, special occupation, unusual occupation. And so they would come and be seated, and then the panelists would take turns interviewing them. And obviously, the guy who really was the real one told the truth. And then the other people had to make it up as they went along. And I remember thinking as a little kid, you, you know, you got to be kind of smart just to be able to lie like that. You know, you got to figure that out. And then at the end, of course, they would all vote. And then the announcer again, would the real whomever please stand up? And then there would be this little bit of jockeying. And then finally one guy would stand up. I mean, the suspense was killing me, you know? <laughs> just. But the reason I tell you that story is today we're going to be talking about how to be able to detect lies and how to be able to discern truth. And the reason we're going to be talking about that is because this is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, detecting lies, discerning truth. And once again, we see the upside-down nature of Jesus' message from the Sermon on the Mount. To detect is to notice something that's partly hidden or not clear, to discover or identify uh, the presence or the existence of something. To discern is to become aware of something intangible, to perceive, to note, to observe, to distinguish with the other senses. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now we're continuing in our series in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. If you want to have your Bibles open there, there's a sermon note page in your bulletin if you want to have that for reference as well. But we're going, to, we're going to be looking at Jesus is offering two choices. The first is the choice between two gates. And then the second choice is the, jo is the choice between two different kinds of trees. 
And so let's read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And I'd like for us all to read it together. Can everybody see the screen? Let's read together. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, when you read that first sentence, here's a pop quiz from English class. What is the subject of the sentence? And we, if we say gate, gate is a noun, but it's not the subject, is it? The subject is you. You are the subject in that sentence. Now, in the English language, there are four types of sentences. There is the, the sentence that is a declarative sentence, and that's a sentence that makes a statement. There's an interrogative sentence, and that's the sentence that asks the question. There is an imperative sentence, and that gives a command. And there's the exclamatory sentence, and that is one that, that exclaims. I always liked that one because it was easy to spot. It had an exclamation point at the, at the end of it. So Jesus, you'll notice in this sentence, first sentence, gives us an imperative. It is a command. You are the subject, and you are to enter through the narrow gate. That's a command. We're to enter through that. Then Jesus immediately goes and describes the opposite gate, which is the wide gate, which he says leads to destruction. And then he comes back and talks some more about the narrow gate. So let's take a closer look at that narrow gate. If you're reading out of a King James Bible, it probably uses, instead of the word narrow, it uses the word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T. Not to be confused with the word S-T-R-A-G-H-I-T, straight. That straight is the straight that is not crooked. And if, you, and if I misspelled it, just go with it, okay? G-H-T, yeah, I got it, yeah. But the straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, the narrow, literally means it is something that has pressure applied to it. It is the same kind of narrowing that is used to describe how grapes are pressed to release the juice. So Jesus says, enter through that pressing, narrow gate. Enter through that gate. And then he goes on to say that that gate, the one that has the pressure applied, is the one that we're to follow because that's the one that leads to life. But why would God make the path he wants us to follow so difficult when the other one is so wide and so many more people are on it and frankly, they look like they're having all kinds of fun over there on that wide road, even though it does lead to destruction. Why would, why would Jesus do that? Actually, God made the narrow gate easily discernible. It's easily discernible because that's where Jesus is. If I want to find the narrow gate, all I have to do is say, where is Jesus? What road is he on? That's, that's where I need to go. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus 
identifies himself as the gate. In John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved or kept safe. They will come in and go out and find pasture. In verse 10, Jesus goes on to say that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they may have life and have it to the full. When Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I want you to enter through the narrow gate because that's the gate that leads to life. Yes, it's a pressure gate. Yes, it's a narrower road. But that's the one that leads to life. That's the one I want you to find. And Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. You may have it to the full. That's interesting. Jesus uses another, another expression in John chapter 14. Hours before his crucifixion, in John 14, Jesus makes the statement, I am the way. He doesn't call himself the gate there. He calls himself the way. He says, I am the truth, and I am the life. And it's the same word that he uses here in Matthew 7. I am the life. I am the life everlasting. I am the life that leads to eternal life. But in contrast, Jesus says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. The New Living Translation of Matthew 7, 13 says, the highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many who choose it. Back in 1979, the rock group ACDC, I know that that's probably on your playlist, in 1979, I didn't even know what a playlist was. <laughs> but their song goes like this. Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in stride. Don't need no reason, don't need no rhyme. Ain't nothing I would rather do. Going down, party time. My friends are going to be there too. I'm on the highway to hell. Second verse, no stop signs, speed limit. Nobody's going to slow me down like a wheel going to spin it. Nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan paid my dues playing in a rocking band. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. Woo, I'm on the highway to hell. Jesus reminds us that that way leads to destruction. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Go through the small gate. Go through the gate that is kind of compressed. And the way is not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Because if you've been a follower of Christ for very long, you know that sometimes it takes some twists and turns and ups and downs. It's not just straight and level. But he says it is the way that leads to life. And folks, that's why we have to be able to discern the lie. I mean, discern the truth, be able to detect the lie, to know the difference. And to make sure that nobody feels like God is somehow playing this cosmic game of hide and seek or catch me if you can, I would remind you that in John 3.16, God says, 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save the world through him. Here's how that was taught in the early church as Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Whatever happened, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Now, let's continue in verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus then says, Watch out for false prophets. We're still roads here. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, why did Jesus warn that we should watch out for false prophets? Why? Why is that an issue? Why does he want us to be aware of that? Because it's a matter of detecting lies and discerning truth. Because there are those who would seek to confuse you. Who would seek to make you believe that their lie is the truth. Now this week I was reading a newsletter from Ron and Pat Morris. They are missionaries in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Highland Park has supported the Morris family for years and years and years. And as I was reading Ron and Pat's newsletter, I noticed this one little section where Ron told how that he had traveled to a faraway village to meet with members of the small church that they had established. And this is what Ron said. They had been having some trouble with false teachers come in during a time their own pastor was absent. So a team of us went up to remind and steady all of them in their faith. And my first thought as I read that was, that's, that's what a shepherd does to protect his flock. And then the second thing that I thought was, that'd be a great sermon illustration for Sunday morning. And so I shared that with you. I sent Ron an email, said, hey, Ron, I wanna, I'm going to use your story. And he emailed me back. And, and I also thought about this. Can you imagine that when the Morris family was in China in 1949, that they would know that someday the grandson would be able to email back and forth in, all, in real time. And I sent him, hey, Ron, I want to use that. Hey, here, Dave, here's this. It was 11.15 here, 11.15 at night there. And he said, uh, I want to I fill you in. He said, the fellows who came in were from another group who preached about healing, and that's okay. And then they said they'd pray for the folks there, and they did, and many fell on the ground and were in essence knocked out, and they seemed to be better, and they thought they were healed. The thing that dismayed the people was that a few hours later, the healings all wore off, and the illnesses came back, and the problems reappeared, and this was not a good thing in their minds, and so they decided that whatever they were up to, the false teachers... These folks were somehow lulling people to come into their fold by promising this and that, but in the end, very little substance. And then this is Ron, how Ron concluded his email. 
it seems that so many teachers do no planting but only want to harvest what they can walk off with from the work of others. I love Ron's heart. When you've had Ron here, you can tell when Ron has spoken here and Brian's interviewed him and Ron has shared, he has a great compassion for the heart, for, in his, he has a great heart for the people there and he has a deep abiding commitment to the truth of the gospel. Another form of false prophets that we see today are preachers that, that espouse, basically it's called universalism. Uh, it is a belief that God will ultimately save everybody because it would be unloving not to. Man, we've left the days of the sermons that talked about sinners in the hands of an angry God. That was Jonathan Edwards' great sermon in the 17th century. We live in a time when many preachers are too eager to downplay God's condemnation of any behavior, of any sin, and they're in favor of a more therapeutic, feeling-centric approach. One writer called that kind of preaching the opiate of the theologians. You know, Karl Marx had his referred to faith as the opiate of the people. This writer says it's the opiate of theologians because it allows them to tell a live and let live culture exactly what it wants to hear. It pictures God as a cosmic grandpa who will never finally hold anyone to account for their sin. That's a false teacher. Jesus describes these false teachers as wolves in sheep's clothing. Sheep are an em emblem of, of innocence, of sincerity, and of harmlessness. And for a sheep to come dressed in a wolf, to, for a wolf to come dressed in sheep's clothing is to appear to be innocent, but the heart is evil. Jesus calls them ferocious ravenous, that they would devour the flock. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called the message says it this way, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. I wonder who Eugene Peterson had in mind as he wrote that paraphrase. You see, the connection between false prophets and the wide gate and the broad road is ultimately revealed by the fruit of their lives. And that's why Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So let's, let's begin reading in verse 16. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Do you think Jesus wanted us to get the point? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. Did you notice? 
By their fruits you will recognize them as used in that short passage of Scripture, verse 16 and verse 20. Jesus repeats it. You see, nothing so often prevents people from entering the narrow gate and becoming true followers of Christ as the soothing, flattering doctrines of those who oppose the truth. And then interestingly, Jesus changes his metaphor here. He goes from false prophets being like wood to being like wolves to diseased trees. And it's the contrast between good fruit and bad fruit. Jesus makes it clear that good fruit does not come from bad trees. The similarity between the fruit and the nature of the tree extends not only to the species, and, and what I mean by that is apple trees produce apples. But he also says that it expends also to the specimen. A diseased tree cannot produce good fruit. The inner character of the tree is obvious in the nature of the fruit. Now, Jesus addressed this earlier in Matthew chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Is the fruit that is being produced in your life flavored with repentance? Is there a repentance that goes along with the fruit of your life? He says, we're to judge the teaching of those who claim authority by the question, does it in the long run taste like Jesus? Trees that do not bear good fruit, Jesus says, will be cut down and burned. Again, in John chapter 15, same time as when he earlier talked about himself being the way and the truth and the life, that night he also said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now here's, here's what I see is very, very sad is that a false prophet that leads many to destruction through a wide gate and onto the broad road never sees himself or herself as a prophet at all. Because you see, false prophets are not limited just to those who would stand in a pulpit and preach. Your fruit is being examined every day and recognized every day. If you're a parent, which gate does your child see you go? Which road do they see you traveling? Are they learning to follow Jesus on the narrow road because they see you following Jesus on the narrow road? Are they willing to go through the small gate, the narrow gate, the pressure gate because they have seen you go through that gate and they have seen you see Jesus and follow Jesus and look like Jesus? Jesus. 
because you are his fruit. Are they learning how to follow Jesus because they see you doing it? And when they examine your fruit, does it come from a healthy tree of faith? Or does it come with a tainted taste of bitterness and deception? I want you to focus on this last quote. And I want you to notice, because it has several parts in it. And it is, the, it is this statement, whatever you permit, you promote. Whatever you model, you teach. Whatever you reward, you encourage. Whatever you value, you honor. Think about that just for a minute. Well, Dave, I, there's some things that I do, but you know, I, I don't really promote them. Yeah, you do. You see, what a person sees you do occasionally, what a child sees you do occasionally, they're going to think, hey, that's okay, anytime I want to. What you permit in your own life, you're actually promoting it to those around you. That's why it is important that we take seriously what it means to walk on the narrow path. Whatever you model, you teach. I'll tell this story about my daughter without permission. <laughs> and those of you who know my daughter, Amy, who is at Ozark, told this story on herself. One time she was driving and she had the kids in the car and Ann said, Mommy, what's an idiot? And she said, Oh man, where has she heard that word? And so she tries to gently explain it. Well, why do you ask, Anne? Well, because that's what you call that driver that went by. <laughs> what you model, you teach. So I'd like for you to bow your heads with me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Right now, is the Holy Spirit prompting you to more closely examine the fruit of your life? Has there been a time this morning when, as we have been sharing together, that the Holy Spirit knocked on your heart's door and said, you know, this is something that I really wish you'd work on? Can you identify the false prophets that you encounter? And along with that, are you beginning to listen more to them in such a way that it affects what you're permitting in your own life? Do you need to sharpen your skills at detecting lies and discerning truth. And the way we do that is with God's word, right? Do 
maybe this morning you said, Dave, I'm on the, I'm on the wrong road. I'm on that broad road. My friends are there. It's party time. But man, Dave, this morning, I don't know how to get off that road. If that's where you are this morning, let me just tell you, I've got some absolutely great news. That Jesus is ready to help you get off that road and get onto his. Maybe today you want someone to pray with you to help you begin to study and begin to know. Maybe, maybe you need to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and you don't know exactly all that means, but you'd like for someone to help you understand more clearly. We're going to sing. And as we do, we have some chairs right down front that if you want someone to pray with you this morning, we ask you to just step out to those chairs. and Someone will come and visit with you, pray with you. Maybe you don't want to do it publicly this morning. You have a little card in your bulletin called a Connect card, and you can check one of the boxes on that card about next steps. Because, folks, Jesus said, Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way. Small is the gate. Narrow is the way. That leads to life. And we offer you life in Christ. Father, I pray that today we would be people whose lives are lived in such a way that the fruit that is observed in our behavior is the fruit that produces life, gives strength, gives energy, gives hope, gives help. And we pray these things in Christ's name.